After 400 years of silence, God sent the savior of the world. But not in the form anyone expected. He didn't send a king to be born in a palace, or a politician to rally the people. He sent his son to be born in a manger, to take on flesh and blood, and to live a perfect life in the mess that we had created. For over 2,000 years, Christ continues to shed light into our darkness, bring order to our chaos, provide comfort to our misery, and be a beacon of hope in the middle of our mess. Yeah! How we doing? Good? Yeah! Wow, so good to have you with us also. So great to have all of you joining us online as well. Uh, isn't it crazy that Christmas is just a couple weeks away? Yeah, we here, we made it, we're here. So, hey, listen, uh, we're gonna kick off our new Christmas series in a minute, but there's just a couple of, of housekeeping things, a couple of things I wanna make sure that we're all on the same page about uh, before I, I dive into it. And so first of all is Christmas, uh, is upon us, all things Christmas. A couple things, first of all, uh, we're just rounding out our first week of the Christmas Village, and I just wanna say, honestly, all I wanna say is thank you to so many of you, over 800 volunteers uh, that have already come and served. It's a huge blessing to our community. Um, we're gonna go through the 23rd, but just thank you for making that uh, a priority. The only thing that we would ask you to do is, is either keep helping or just help us spread the word um, on Facebook, Instagram, or whatever. But the Christmas Village uh, is, is such a fun opportunity to create such memorable moments for families. And hopefully you not only get to serve at it, but get to enjoy it as well. Um, as it relates to Christmas services, Christmas experience, um, again, it's no news to you. We have this really great problem here is that we just keep growing. Um, and so this year, uh, like the last several years, we're asking you to register for a Christmas service or Christmas experience simply so that three or 4,000 of you don't show up at the same time. Um, I wanna say this, that our Christmas experience, I think is gonna be the best one we've ever had. Uh, and it's really created to enjoy in this room. I'm not saying you can't go to the chapel or watch online or go out into the courtyard, but there's some, you won't catch all that happens if you're not in here. And so for that reason, um, we're having it over the course of four days. It's gonna be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It will be the same experience every single time. Um, some of you will be able to come before you maybe leave town for the weekend. But we're just asking, make sure you register. If you register, it will ensure that you have a spot here in uh, the, the worship center. We haven't even advertised it yet. We already have 3,000 people registered. Um, yeah, so we could see close to 10,000 people this year. Now, with that said, we actually have an if needed spot every single day. So as a day fills up, while there's 12 open spots right now, we're already prepping for 16 services. And so we will open those up as the days fill up as well. And so make sure you kind of talk to your friends and family. When are we gonna go? Reserve your spots. But please do this. If only four of you are coming, don't reserve 12 spots. Just reserve four spots. So um, that's for our Christmas service, our Christmas experience. And then in light of the Christmas experience and all the services in the Christmas village, uh, we close our offices the week between Christmas and New Year's. And then just as a reminder, if you're new here, we don't gather in person the last weekend of the year. Um, I've already recorded. We have a full online experience. Uh, I recorded our message for the end of the year. I, I think it's going to be a great one. Um, and so we want you to gather at home with your friends, your family, get your small group together. And, uh, and so we're going to do church online. So we won't be in person on the 30th and 31st. Don't worry. Some of you have so much going on, you're going to forget that. So we will remind you. Um, but I just want you to know what's coming up, all things Christmas. And so um, that's what's going on in the next couple of weeks. So you guys good on that? We good? Online, give me thumbs up. All right, cool. 
Next, uh, our For Everyone update. Uh, we've been talking about this for months. Uh, we had our commitment weekend last weekend. and just want to give you a, a real quick update. Uh, just exciting news where we're at. Um, over the last few months, we've been collecting pledges and, and offering. And as of this week, we received over $4 million in pledges and over $1.2 million in cash already in hand. And so I am blown away. I am absolutely blown away by the generosity uh, of this place, the, the vision that you guys have for, for what God is doing here, uh, again, to expand the capacity to reach more people. And again, that's only gonna help us uh, sponsor more missionaries and church plants as well. Um, one question I do wanna answer, uh, we've been talking the whole time, we, we needed four million cash and six million in pledges in order to move forward. So where does that leave us? I, I think I can answer that really quickly. Um, there's still time for more money to come in at the end of the year, but I also will let you know that where we started was, let's create the greatest version of what we possibly could need that would check every box. Offices, preschool, city, lobby space, groups, meeting space, angles, kind of think custom home, like everything. Um, and so we aren't quite where we need to be with that, but we've always kind of had this uh, on, the, on the back burner. Uh, I wouldn't call it a plan B, something that would still check the most important boxes, which is adequate lobby space, a worship center twice our size that we think we could significantly do for uh, a, a lot less. And so we have a team of, of local tradesmen built that are working to get us more of the details of that, but we're very optimistic that we can still get what we need. We can double our size, double our capacity, um, same timeline, but save about five or $6 million, um, which would be really, really massive. And so we're working that while we're having money come in on the back end. And so we are gonna have two viable options that we're confident about. We can get you more details probably at the beginning of the next year. Um, and so uh, if you're kind of going, well, why didn't we just start there? The, the, what we started with, the pictures we showed you, it do, it's the everything. It's, it's, it's all of it. And it's not the fancy chandeliers and sinks. It's just meeting spaces and, and walls. This would accomplish the most important things, which is bigger worship space, uh, still a bigger lobby, uh, and, and a place that we could continue to facilitate ministry. Um, and so either way, we're moving forward. You're going to start to see the campus start to change and, and the facelift start in the beginning of the year. And we're so excited. And I just want to say thank you guys for just believing in, in God, vision for this place. And it's incredible. And then one last thing we have to do, we don't make always, always make a big deal about this, but something really significant is happening this weekend as well as at the end of this year. Um, our church is almost 38 years old. And it's because 38 years ago, God entrusted the vision to Pastor Dennis and Linda Gingrich and, and a, a group of, of families. And um, this weekend, Pastor Dennis turned 70. Uh, and so we have a before and after. Uh, this is Pastor Dennis, year one at Cape Christian, and Pastor Dennis more recently. And in case you're wondering, who's that young guy he's baptizing? That's Mark Ashton, uh, who also is one of ours, yes. And so um, just wanted to, to, to honor him. And uh, we wouldn't be talking about expanding our capacity. We wouldn't be talking about the, the opportunity we have to serve our community if he hadn't been faithful with what God had given him all those years ago. And uh, it's an appropriate time to let you know, uh, a couple years ago, we started talking about, so when do you start to ride off into the sunset? And so this is going to be Pastor Dennis's last year. Uh, he's finishing his last year as a full-time pastor. So moving into 2024, he's gonna step back a little bit. Um, he's gonna help me on the back end. He's still gonna do pastoral things, but he's moving to part-time. Linda has retired. And so just wanted to honor the, the, the father of the house, the, our founder, by saying happy birthday, let you know what's going on with him. And so um, can we just uh, hear it? I, know, I don't even think he's in the room right now. Oh, he's right there. Oh, he's right there. You're usually right here. Pastor Dennis, happy birthday. 
He had no idea. I'll tell you, thank you, so appropriate. I'll tell you one of the things that gives me the greatest joy is, um, I think you put it so well on Facebook, you're starting your seventh decade tomorrow or this weekend. Um, as you begin to move to part-time, I think it's only appropriate that this has, things have never been bigger and better here. Uh, and if you ask him, are you, uh, are you surprised? I love his response. Never surprised because he knows what God's capable of, but always in awe because he's always amazed at God. And so um, thank you for just your uh, example of 40 years of faithfulness. And we're all aware we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you and your bride. So happy birthday. Happy like part-time, not retirement yet, uh, but you are the Pope. You are the mayor. You are the legend. You are the bishop. So thank you, Pastor Dennis. So, uh, so we're kicking off our Christmas series, and this one is really a carry-on to what we just did. We spent five weeks in the entire history of the Old Testament, journey through the Old Testament. It feels really good to dress normal again uh, this week. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you missed a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, uh, and so it's perfect because we're, we're calling it Christmas, Christmas. And where we got the idea was just the circumstances surrounding our world and the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus, especially in light of the history lesson that we just got over the last five years. And so uh, as a recap, I wanna pick up where we left, left off, the, the Old Testament timeline real quick. We've, we kind of hit the key points, the meta narrative, but we left off last week in Babylon. Well, Babylon happens in 586 BC, it's besieged. And we, we ended with the story kind of incomplete, inconclusive going, we're back into slavery, we're back into a foreign nation, we've forgotten about God. And so now we have almost 600 years between that and Jesus. And so here's, let me fill in that gap for you real quick. For the first 200 years, God sent a bunch of prophets about, hey, it's not gonna, it's, it's not going well. You got what you deserved. I told you this was gonna happen. Um, but uh, don't forget, I made a promise all the way back to Genesis. I made a promise all the way back in Abraham. The story is not over yet. That was about 200 years. And then there's like kind of 400 years of silence. In fact, I, I just wanna read kind of this script. I wrote about four sentences. For 400 years before Jesus's birth, God was silent. There were no prophetic words, no psalms of encouragement, no songs to his people. Then one day he appeared and made a fairly significant announcement. What was the message that would compel him after 400 years to break his silence? It goes all the way back to Genesis 2 when scripture said that one day a savior would come and deliver the whole world from the bondage of sin and establish God's kingdom, not just on heaven, but here on earth. You can imagine then when this Messiah finally came from the day uh, in the form of a baby Jesus born to a young, poor, no-name virgin named Mary, people might doubt. Surely this couldn't be what we waited 600 years for. Surely this couldn't be the savior that the prophets spoke of. Baby Jesus, after all, born in a barn of all places, placed in a feeding trough and only celebrated by goat and sheep herders. This can't be it. These are hardly the accommodations for the king of kings. Or are they? Matthew wants to show how Jesus is the continuation and fulfillment of the whole biblical story about God and Israel. That Jesus is the Messiah from the line of David. That he is a new authoritative teacher like Moses. And not only that, Jesus is God with us. Or in Hebrew, Emmanuel. And Matthew's designed this book with an introduction and then a conclusion, and these act like a frame around five clear sections right here in the center, each of which concludes with a long block of Jesus' teaching. Now, this design is very intentional, and it's amazing. Just watch how this works. 
Chapters 1 through 3, they set the stage by attaching Jesus' story right onto the storyline of the Old Testament scriptures. So Matthew opens with a genealogy about Jesus that highlights how he is from the messianic line of the son of David, and he's a son of Abraham. That means he's going to bring God's blessing to all of the nations. After that, we get the famous story about Jesus' birth and how all of the events fulfilled the Old Testament prophetic promises that the nations would come and honor the Messiah, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but even more than that, Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit, his name Emmanuel, all these work together to show that Jesus is no mere human. He is God with us. God become human. So you can see two of Matthew's key themes right here in the introduction. He's from the line of David. He's Emmanuel. But Matthew also wants to show how Jesus is a new Moses. So like Moses, Jesus came up out of Egypt. He passed through the waters of baptism, and he entered into the wilderness for 40 days. And then Jesus goes up onto a mountain to deliver his new teaching. So through all of this, Matthew is claiming that Jesus is the promised greater-than-Moses figure who's going to deliver Israel from slavery. He's going to give them new divine teaching. He's going to save them from their sins and bring about a new covenant relationship between God and his people. This Moses and Jesus parallel also explains why Matthew has structured the center of the book the way that he did. These five main parts highlight Jesus as a teacher, and he's created a parallel. Jesus as a teacher parallels the five books of Moses. Jesus is the new authoritative covenant teacher who's going to fulfill the storyline of the Torah. So here we are in our story. Jesus is here. The Old Testament has come to an end. We're going to hit reset. And so we're going to spend the next two weeks unpacking first this week more from a historical aspect and then a little bit more uh, next week of what it means here and now. But as I've been thinking about Christmas, even here at Cape Christian, even here in 2023, what we got going on, uh, it struck me that often Christmas can feel and seem better from a distance than it does up close. Have you ever noticed that? Christmas, Christmas carols and lights and snow and maybe eggnog and a sweater and gifts. And then it comes to the 23rd, 24th, and it's like, are all the in-laws going to be there? Does all this traffic need to be going where I'm going today? Did we get enough gifts? The kids are kind of complaining. We didn't get them what they really wanted. We have three more holiday parties to go to. I just want a day off. I want a break from the 24-hour news. Am I right? It's like Christmas, and Christmas, like, and it, it's almost kind of like, ah, oh, is that it? There's fights, there's stress, there's financial pressure, there's all kinds of stuff. Well, look, the, the crazy part is, I think as true as that is for us, the first Christmas was no different. So what I want to do is give you a brief kind of historical backdrop of what's going on. That it probably felt more better from a distance. Oh, the Savior's coming. When you, when you zoom in, you're like, none of it was good. None of it. I mean, you start with the fact that Jesus had in mind to divorce Mary. You have that Mary was, at, you wouldn't know this, but at risk of being stoned to death by the zealots because she was pregnant and not married. Uh, Magi had to go home a different route because there was a crazy king in, and said, I, and because he couldn't find this king of the Jews, decided to kill all the babies. And so I'm going to ask a couple questions in this service. And it might sound like so elementary, but I actually think we owe it to ourselves to stop and step back and really examine the question. And so I think it's appropriate as we go into the season, we ask this, what is it are we even celebrating? What are we celebrating? Is it the, is it the birth of Jesus? Is it family? Is it time off of work? What, what's this? I mean, take it back to the 1950s. Doesn't anybody know what Christmas is all about? I'll tell you, Charlie Brown. 
that hasn't stopped being true. Because it's easy to forget because for the next few weeks, we're gonna be surrounded with the spirit of Christmas and the heart of Christmas and the feeling of Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year and more lights and trees and presents and elves on shelves and we wanna break from the craziness and I'm, oh, two weeks with no school pickup line, praise the Lord, and it's the holidays. And I think it's only appropriate that the chaos and the mess and the ah just still reminds us for the reason that we needed something better. We needed some peace. We needed a counselor. We needed some hope. As my favorite Christmas song of all time says, the thrill of hope to a weary world rejoices. That's what Christmas is, a weary world that gets a little bit of hope. And so it was a dark, we pick up our history story. It was messy. It was chaotic, the world that Jesus was born into. And so again, as we love, we, looked at the, we love to look at the history so we can apply it now. And so there and then, somebody say there and then. Somebody online, which by the way, shout out to our group in Poland that is watching us this weekend. Love you guys. Uh, you type in whatever language you speak first, there and then. Um, so what was it like? What was the mess Jesus was born into? Let's pick up the story. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now that may not mean much to us, but if you were alive in those days, that meant everything. What was the world like when Jesus was born? It was the time of the reign of King Herod. Well, let me give you a real quick history lesson on what we know of Herod. If you want to know more about it, go back on our archive and find the We Three Kings series I did a few Christmases ago, and I spent an entire service unpacking Herod. But here's the highlight. What was the mess Jesus came into? 30 years before Jesus was born, a king had been placed in Judea, not anointed and not appointed. Why does that matter? Because last week we read out of Deuteronomy 17, they should be of Israel and they should be anointed and appointed. Herod was not of Israel. He was not anointed. He was not appointed. This is a problem. He's crazy. This is Herod the Great. Soon after him, uh, Caesar Augustus became ruler. Herod was only half Jewish. He was Caesar's puppet for the Roman Empire. He was completely paranoid. Herod kept at least a thousand bodyguards around him at all times. He was so afraid of, of losing his power. Uh, his his uh, most influential and power, powerful son who had a direct line to the throne, he had him murdered just to kill off the competition. He had 10 wives. Uh, eventually he ended up marrying three of his sons. He killed one of his second wife. He killed his mother-in-law. And when he heard of a king of the Jews coming, he was threatened and upset that the Magi wouldn't tell him. He executed a decree that every baby boy in all of Israel would just be murdered and killed. This guy was crazy. He made it, and then because he was not, he was half Jewish, so he was hated by the Jews because he was Caesar's puppet. No one liked him and he knew it. And so as he got older, this, and this actually happened if you look at history, he made a decree that the day he died that they would bring as many Jewish leaders as they possibly could into a coliseum or arena and slaughter all of them. So that on the day of Herod's death, there would be great mourning and weeping throughout the nation and the land. He had to fabricate mourning. He was crazy. He massively taxed his people, 80 to 90% in some places. He used the money for lavish gifts for Caesar to build roads and boats and, and port cities and palaces and the empire. There was massive political unrest, massive social unrest, massive economical problems, racism everywhere. And why do I tell you that? Because I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we go, mm, it was just a simpler time. No. Nothing about what I just said is simple, and I'm giving you the, the, the PG easy version of how bad it was. Not a simpler time. That's a giant mess 
Not to mention, God's people have been enslaved for 600 years. God's have been silent for 400 years. You got killing, you got corruption, you got racism, you got religious persecution, you got wars, you got immigration, and you got bad dictators. Maybe we're not so different than the days of old, huh? It wasn't a silent night. The world was in pain. Bethlehem was a place for baby funerals. And as the prophet said early on in the prophets, there's weeping and wailing for the, the, the sons of, of Judah. You know what that was a prophecy of? All your babies are gonna die. You had moms crying out in mourning because their kids were gone because they were under a crazy evil empire. And if you dare cross him, he would crush you and anybody you were associated with. And so Jesus is born and you know what he did? He had to evacuate to Egypt. So now you have the second Messiah, the second Moses coming out of where? Hmm, how ironic. Back into Egypt, full circle. There's political, military, religious, and racial chaos. If that's not a mess, I don't know what it was. Again, same song as it says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pretty accurate depiction of how bad it was when Jesus came. There were no carols, only chaos. And it was into this darkness that God thought this is when we should bring the light. It was into this chaos this abyss that God said, now's the time. It was into this mess. He said, now let's come and clean it up. What I love about this story is God didn't send Jesus and he go, oh, oh man, this is really bad. Did I choose a bad time? Is this a bad time? He knew exactly what he was doing. And in fact, the mess goes way deeper. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this because most of the time when we talk about the Christmas story, we talk about Luke 2 and Matthew 2. And it's all this, the, 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 what happens in the Christmas story. We'll get to that next week. But let's start in Matthew 1. If you've ever read the Christmas story in Matthew 1, you know it's the boring part. What's the boring part? The genealogy of Jesus. Because here's what's true about Jesus that's also true about all of us. Jesus was a human that had his own family tree. He came from a family tree and Jesus uh, and Matthew, the, uh, the author of, of this gospel called Matthew, uh, makes a point to include some things that I would not have included had I written this. Because every family has a tree and I'm not just talking about a Christmas tree. I'm talking the ancestry.com, the 23andMe, whatever the case may be. See, Jesus has a tree and that's where Matthew starts and he starts in Matthew chapter one. If you look, it says, here is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He says, here's the tree. And here what, what Matthew knew and what ancient readers knew is there's some trees, there's some branches on this tree you wish could be cut off. There's some of these branches that are gonna make you blush. There's a, there is a, uh, there's a list of things in this tree that we wish were not a part of our DNA, our history, our family DNA or whatever you wanna call it some names that weren't there. And so back in those days, you have to understand quickly that genealogy had three purposes. You, you read it in Chronicles, you read it throughout the Bible, the genealogy, number one, genealogy was used to show the character of a person. If, if you came from a line of great warriors, he was a warrior and he was a warrior and he was a warrior, it would be, that would be a reason, uh, a character of a person. Uh, you see this in Genesis where they uh, uh, contrast Seth versus Cain, if you wanna go back and read it. Number two, genealogy purpose was to demonstrate God's work in history throughout a particular group of people, to show that they accurate, this is what God did through the nation of Israel, the father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whatever you wanna say. Um, and then thirdly, and this is really important, the genealogy proved biological succession. 
And this was, again, more for dignitaries, kings, um, maybe for legal or political reasons to show he is the son of him, who is the son of him, who is the son of king or prince so-and-so or whatever. And so Matthew is very intentionally doing this for these reasons. He's connecting this. But what you have to understand when you read the book of Matthew is it's not an exhaustive list. He doesn't include everybody. There's not enough room. Well, there is. It would be a lot longer than it is. And so Chronicles actually has more of the old stuff if you want to know what it is. But Matthew kind of picks weird names. And I want to spend a minute on this. Um, just one interesting, oh, by the way, that we probably don't have time for, but I'm going to tell you anyway, is if you read Matthew chapter one, it says there were uh, 14 generations uh, between um, Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, between, there are 14 generations between Moses and uh, David, uh, Abraham and David, then 14 from David to exile, and then 14 from exile to Jesus. Why does that matter? 14, 14, 14. That's six sevens, seven, 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 seven. Everything throughout scripture is all about God doing stuff on the seventh seven. And Jesus shows up on this. It's just fascinating. You could have a long, deep dive. Go back to Bible Project. They have some great stuff on it. But, um, and so, uh, so what basically Matthew is showing is that Jesus's biology, it's good. His character, no. This is not like, this is not like the faith this is not like the character hall of fame. He includes women, which was not common. Um, you would think Matthew would have left out the black sheep and, and included those who maybe were more exemplary. Um, and, and, and Luke's genealogy connects to Mary. Matthew's genealogy connects to, uh, you know, to, 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 to Joseph. But more importantly, Matthew and Luke are basically showing Jesus was humanly God's son, legally Joseph's son, but most importantly, God's, I'm sorry, humanly Mary's son, legally Joseph's son, but most importantly, God's son. This is really important to readers. And so we see that God did hear what he almost always does. Hope doesn't usually come from somewhere else, come from without, it almost always comes from within somewhere. So often God wants to bring from within your current circumstances and world a picture of his promise and a picture of his goodness from within. He can clean it up. We don't have to clean up our world. And then he comes in, he says, let me come in and I'll clean it up. And so my question, a second question again, that I'm just gonna ask, and we'll come back to this, is similar to the first one, is have we considered inviting Jesus to Christmas this year? All the stuff, all the mess, the seven sevens, those family tree, I got, you wanna talk about family tree? My family tree is the reason Christmas is terrible. <laughs> cool, Jesus too. And so this is the very text that points to that. This is no Rockefeller tree. In fact, I think all of us probably have somebody, like I said, in our family tree that we just wish wasn't there, right? Like we all, everybody has a cousin Eddie or two. Of course, the ABC family freeform version, of course, of that, uh, which I was well into my 20s that I didn't know there was another version. Um, and so I wanna dive into this because I think some of us, this is gonna give us a little bit of hope. We'll go kind of quick through this. But again, the mess, Herod, we've already painted a, a picture of the mess of Herod. Now let's talk about the mess of Jesus's family. And so if you come from a family that's kind of a mess, maybe there's a story and hope and grace for you as well. Matthew 1 says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Interesting that he mentions David first because Abraham came first, but he's very importantly connecting that the prophecy said that the Messiah will come of the line of David. So he's like, here's David. And so he says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Let's just stop in verse two. Abraham, the father, oh, the father. The same Abraham who sold off his wife to be uh, a mistress who, in order to try to make a promise happen, slept with his wife's mistress and had a, a, a child with another woman. And he's like, this is how we'll do the promise of God. I got this. Come here, girl. 
True story. Genesis. His son Isaac, deception, all kinds of stuff. And Isaac marries a woman who's really deceptive. Then you got Jacob and his brother Esau. Jacob stole the blessing. Jacob stole the birthright. He was estranged from his brother. Him and his mom tricked his dad. That's just the first verse. And those are the founders of faith. It gets way worse. Judah, the father Perez and Zephar, whose mother was Tamar. Woo. It's pretty rated R, this one. If you want to know about Tamar, you got to go to Genesis 38. But it says, Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar was uh, Judah's daughter-in-law. Tamar, his, her husband dies. Judah's son dies. So Tamar puts a veil on and go prostitutes herself at the city gate. Guess who comes walking by? Pops. Judah has a veil, sleeps with a prostitute, has no idea. Turns out it's his daughter-in-law. A couple days later, she's like, oh, and by the way, I'm pregnant. This is Tamar. Matthew's like, Jesus, family tree. <laughs> so we're not even two senses in, and we already have deception. We have affairs. Now we have incest, prostitution, and deception. Oh, it gets worse. Let's go to verse 5. <laughs> Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab, poor girl. Rahab, you know, from Joshua chapter 2. In Joshua chapter 2, uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb go into the new promised land to scalp it out, and they're spies, and they're about to get caught. And there's one woman who shows them favor that's in Jericho, and her name was Rahab. But anytime you ever see Rahab in the Bible, it's always associated with her profession, which was a prostitute. Prostitute. Rahab always, there's nowhere in scripture you can go where Rahab's identity isn't included, the prostitute. In fact, she, Rahab's faith was so good, she made it as a pagan prostitute as the, in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11, yet she can't escape her identity, Hebrews 11, 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I find it interesting that they mention her faith, but they also mention her profession. James, the brother of Jesus, does the same thing in James chapter two. In the same way, wasn't even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous because she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off this girl can't escape it so now you got mur you got deception you got incest you got scandal you got prostitution good job jesus great family tree you got going there <laughs> keep going on verse five boaz the father of obed whose mother was ruth ruth now ruth's kind of a hero kind of well yes exactly well here's the only problem with ruth ruth was a moabite See, here's what happened is there was, there was, a, there was a, a, a famine in, in Bethlehem in Israel, so they went to Moab. Moab was where God delivered them from. They were never supposed to go back there. Those are the people you weren't supposed to intermarry. And she finds a, a dude, and he's a Moab, so she marries a Moab. She has two sons. His two sons marry Moab women. Moab's, you're talking pagan idol worship. Um, in fact, even a, a human sacrifice. We don't know that Ruth did that. But that's also Moab was Israel's arch enemy, known for idolatry. And so that's where they're at. But now there's no more famine. Ruth's husband died. Her two sons died. She's like, I'm going back. I'm worthless. And, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm telling the story of her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi goes back and Ruth says, hey, I know I'm Moabite, but I'll go back to Israel with you. And so she does. Mo and Ruth, it's a crazy story. Ruth ends up, uh, b b neither of them really had any prospect. Naomi was way too old. Ruth at this point was probably too old. But they're going to go back and just try to survive. And uh, there's a kinsman redeemer. I don't need to talk about that. But his name was Boaz. And he finds out that he can redeem the land, the property, by marrying Ruth, and he does. And because Ruth marries Boaz, Ruth is now grafted into Jesus' lineage, a Moabite, pagan, foreign idol-worshiping woman. 
in Jesus's family. So now we got idolatry, we got child sacrifice, we got incest. And then there's this one. And then David, oh, David, we get to David, it's getting better. Matthew 1, 6, was the father of Solomon. Now, if I'm writing this, I just stop there. Solomon built the palace, built the temple, let's go. Why did he include this detail? Whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Wait a minute. David was the father of Solomon, but his mom had been Uriah's wife. So Uriah used to be with his mom. What happened to his mom? Her name was Bathsheba. And Uriah, David's captain and friend, was out at war. And David saw Bathsheba bathing. And he said, I like you. Give me. I want one. (laughs) And so Bathsheba slept with David. Probably she had no choice to say no. And same type of a story. Oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. So David's like, oh, crap, Uriah's my boy. Like, what are we going to do? So instead of acknowledge it and be broken, what does he do? He covers it up and he has Uriah murdered so that he can keep the baby. And God says, because you did all this, you're going to lose the baby. And they did. But then he got pregnant again, and that was Solomon. That's David. That's David. So now you got murder. Let's add to the list murder, affair, adultery, lust. Did you guys get the picture? The tree ain't good. And Matthew intentionally puts all these names in here because the family tree is screaming a really loud message about the grace and the hope of God. That if you feel like you were born on the wrong side of the tracks, you come from the wrong lineage, there's generational curses, that there's a litany of lust, adultery, scandal, prostitution, incest. We could not have done it more wrong. It shows from the beginning that God only ever goes into a mess to bring light and hope and grace. In fact, Jesus' family tree is the ultimate Jerry Springer stroke. And if you're over 40, you can ask later what Jerry Springer, or under 40, you can ask later what it is. Even, Even go back to who's writing this book. Who's writing this? Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Sellouts, traitors, hated. If God could bring a tax collector into the family and choose him to write this, maybe anybody could get in the family. You know why Matthew includes Rahab and Tamar and and Solomon and those details? You know why? Matthew is literally including these people as trophies of God's grace. They're trophies. Not of their badness. Here's what I try to tell people all the time. Once you get healed and set free from your sin, your previous badness only shows the goodness and grace of God. So don't be ashamed of your story. Let your scars tell the story of God's grace and his goodness. Matthew knew that God's greatest gift was not going under a tree, but it was gonna go on a tree someday. The real Christmas tree, the real family tree, isn't the one your presents are under. It was a tree that this gift this perfect sinless gift came into arguably the greatest mess of historical times. And though he was without fault, lived perfect, and then took all of our sin and willingly went to the ultimate Christmas tree and said, I'll take the mess, you get the clean. I'll take the chaos, you get the life. I'll take the darkness, you get the light. The real Christmas tree in all of us is Christ. It's not at Rockefeller Center. It's not in your living room. It's not in some pine farm in Minnesota somewhere. It's on the cross that Jesus died on 2,000 years ago, and it's a grace tree. Peter, the disciple, wrote it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
And he doesn't want to just heal you. He wants to forgive all of your sins and bring you into his family. Paul lays it out brilliantly in Galatians. He says this. So in Christ Jesus, those of us who say yes to Jesus, who make, who answer the question, are we going to invite Jesus into our Christmas? Are we going to invite Christmas Jesus into our life? Not just do all the things, but make him the center. He says, if you're in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. Faith in what? That Jesus hanging on the once and for all Christmas tree was enough to cover for all of us. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with him. Now there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, because you are now all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Do you see how Paul ties all of the history lesson we've been doing for the last six weeks ago? Ah, oh, it's about Jesus. It's about the Prince of peace. If you are in Christ, that means you are in the tree, you are in the lineage, and it doesn't matter what other sins and tarnishes and things you bring to the tree of scandals and sin and debauchery and all the stuff that we would normally be ashamed and embarrassed of. Jesus's message is, I came intentionally in that mess. I came to a mess. I cleaned that mess up and I bring healing and I bring freedom and I bring salvation to anybody who would accept me and turn their life to me. It is the greatest story of all time. It's our family tree. And it doesn't, this is the best part. It doesn't matter how dark your past is. It doesn't matter if it was marked with all the things I just said, scandal, prostitution, idolatry, murder, or maybe you used to worship a different God altogether. Jesus's grace is more than enough. And so would you think about inviting Jesus into Christmas this year? Do you wanna be a part of his tree? He's willingly coming into your mess Religion says, clean yourself up and then you can come to God. We reject religion here. Jesus says, let me come into the most hideous part of your mess and I will clean you up and I will make you like new. And I won't just do it once. Some of us have forgotten this. It's not just about salvation. He does it again and again and again because we are notorious for recreating the same messes over and over. And he keeps coming into the mess. And so this Christmas, let's be reminded that Christ came on purpose into the mess. And he came to bring peace and it's a reminder of his grace. And so, have we considered inviting Jesus to Christmas this year? What do I mean? Keep that front and center in light of all the eggnog, all the holiday parties, all the holiday festival lights and the sand and the presents and the trees. And listen, I like the movies. I like all of it. We're gonna do all of it. But we also do an Advent Devo. We also read the story. We also keep Jesus in the front. You can have it both ways. I think often... One of the ways we treat our mess or our chaos is we create new things that only create more messes and more. We need one more vacation. We need one more present. We need one more family tradition. We need one more mile driven. And God's like, maybe you need to step back and let the Prince of Peace be the Prince of Peace in your life. And so he came to offer a better kingdom. Now, I'll close with this thought. His kingdom was a threat to the powers that be and the religious tradition that existed. And so when you allow his kingdom in, it may be a threat to your perceived power and some of the tr perceived traditions that you have, but his is a kingdom of grace. It's a kingdom of hope. And as the Bible says, and he shall reign forever and ever. What side of that story do you wanna be on? We got two, three weeks. Let's keep Christ in the middle. Let's remember that he only comes into a mess and let's bring the hope and let's Remind the people in our life, I'm a trophy of grace. Let me tell you about my family tree. It's horrible. <laughs> Both my side and the Jesus side, horrible. And Jesus came and took care of all of it. Because we couldn't do it. 
And so he did it for us. And if you've never experienced that, it, it takes a ton of faith, but it's really simple. You just decide in your heart, I'm gonna stop living for myself. I'm gonna stop calling the shots in my life and I'm gonna let him be the, the center of my life. We're gonna pray. And if you make that decision, you get, to off, we, you get to be a part of his family tree in that instant. And God does something unexplainable in that moment. For others of us, I think we've made that decision, but it's easy to get distracted by all the trappings. Let's invite Jesus to Christmas this year. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope. We thank you that you come into a mess. It doesn't matter how bad the kingdom is. It doesn't matter how bad the empire is. It doesn't matter how bad the family tree is that you only ever insert yourself. And to anyone who is willing and to anyone who's willing to surrender to you, you come and you clean that mess up and you bring grace and you bring hope and you bring peace, even in the midst of turmoil. So for anybody here who's ready to make that decision for the very first time, I pray, God, that you would just, that they would experience your presence, your freedom and your forgiveness for the very first time. And for others of us, God, may we invite Jesus to every part of Christmas this year. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you are saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, we just wanna connect with you very simply. Just text KPS to 94,000 on the way out if you would. Also, if you need prayer for anything, we have a ministry team in our prayer room. Also, there's one virtually online as well. Uh, if you're here in person, I hope you'll take in the holiday, uh, the, the festival tonight. We have one more night of the Christmas Village. Merry Christmas, God bless, and let's invite Jesus to Christmas this year, amen? Love you guys.